what a great uh, poem that is, and, and it is our time. Uh, right now we're going through a series called Battle Ready, and, and as you know, we've been going through this for a couple weeks now. We're on week three, and, uh, and uh, it's, it's all about this battle and this war that we have that we're facing every day in our lives, and we have this war that's going on around us everywhere. And so that's what this series is about. Now, the other day, uh, I was talking with the, uh, there was a group of us, we were doing the Johnny Hunt, prepping some stuff on Johnny Hunt, and, and it's funny because, um, you know, this is, this is football season, isn't it? Who, who, who's big football fans in here? We got a, quite a few, yeah? Um, so, when I was talking, I was talking to these guys, and, and we heard, they were talking about football and all these different things, and I'm sitting there thinking, I have no idea what they're talking about, because I'm not a football guy. I haven't played football since uh, before high school, a little bit of early freshman year, and, uh, and I haven't watched football. Uh, when we were talking, I, was, we were, I joked, and I said, well, you know, I was trying to think of how, when was the last time I watched a football game, and it was 1995, roughly. 1995, I have not seen a football game since then. So then I'm, I'm, so I'm thinking about football pretty much since then, and I noticed that my, my team, I grew up in San Diego, my team, the San Diego Chargers, are now calling the, are, are called the what, the LA, LA Chargers now, and so there's this big, you know, a lot of people, a lot of my friends growing up are all Charger fans, and they're all mad at, you know, there's, you know, LA, and they put, you know, lame, and all these different things on the internet and Facebook, and so, you know, you have the, the LA Chargers now, 56 years in San Diego, now they're changing, and it's just, you know, and, and so I'm, I'm seeing this, and then all of a sudden I see, I think it was last night, I see the Oakland Raiders, which is San Diego Chargers is big rival. We really hate the Raiders. I'm a Raider hater, okay? I don't even watch football, but I guarantee I will not watch Raiders, okay? So Raiders are, now they're going to Vegas, which, you know, is fine because, you know, the Raiders are crooked and they're playing. So, you know, you go to Sin City, that kind of makes sense, you know? So I'm watching this football stuff and thinking, man. So then last night, I'm flipping through the channels. I, I got home late, and I'm flipping through the channels, and a game is on, and it was the Houston and uh, Patriots game. So I started thinking, I'm like, you know what? I have not watched the game in, since like 95. You know, why don't I give this a shot? So I'm watching the third quarter. And then what was funny was I'm sitting there looking at this, and I'm like, oh, this is kind of all right. And, but then I'm like, I'm like ADD during it because I'm like, oh, what's that? And I'm not really even paying attention. And it just didn't interest me. That's just me. You know, some people love football, and they're like totally in it. They're yelling, throwing popcorn at the screen. I, I'm not. So, but I watched the game. It was kind of cool. You know, there's some cool stuff, a lot of interceptions, and I really liked Tom Brady seeing what he was doing. That was kind of neat. You know, he's really good. Um, but uh, anyway, so as I'm watching this show or, or this game, I, I'm hearing all these terms, all these, you know, and, and like I said, I played football in, in middle school and, and a little bit into high school, but I, uh, I really didn't remember any of these terms. These terms were coming up, and and I was like, man, I don't even know what that means anymore. And then I was reading, uh, um, I was reading something about, uh, you know, the, the who's playing in the Super Bowl. Because I'm so detached from this that I was thinking, oh, well, we should know who's playing in the Super Bowl. It's coming up. We don't even know that yet, right? If I understand right, we're still in the playoffs. I had to look that up on Wikipedia to figure that one out. So, so anyway, so I'm, I'm watching the show, and it, it's all these different terms. And so as I'm on the internet preparing messages, doing all this stuff, I found a list of football terms. You're going to love this. A list of football terms that can relate to church. Okay? So here we are. A list of football terms that are similar to church. Okay. So like the first one, for example, anybody know what a draw play is? I have no idea. So hopefully you know what a draw play is. So draw play in church terms is what many children do with the bulletin during worship service. Okay? Okay, halftime. 
Look at what halftime is in church terms. It's a period between Sunday school and worship when very few or a few people choose to leave. That's the halftime. All right, what's next? Staying in the pocket. I do know what that one is, okay? I do remember that one. It has something to do with the quarterback. That's about all I remember. But staying in the pocket is what happens when uh, to a lot of money that should be given to the Lord's work. All right, here's one of my favorites. Two-minute warning. Two-minute warning. Two-minute warning is the point which you realize that the sermon is almost over and you start to gather your children and your belongings. That's the part of the service where you start, ah, he's... That's why, if you notice in my sermons, I never say, and I'll conclude with this. I don't say that. Or I don't say, as we finish up this sermon, I rarely say that because I don't want that two-minute warning going off for you guys. All right, next one, instant replay. Now, this one, I actually have two definitions for this one. Um, This one is when the preacher loses his notes and falls back on last week's sermon. That's one instant replay. Now, in me, what happens in my instant replay is when a preacher loses his place in his notes and he repeats himself. We have that from time to time. All right, sudden death. What happens to attention span of the congregation when the preacher goes into overtime? And we all know what time overtime is, right? 12 o'clock. That's right. So, all right, we have an end run. (laughs) It's when you get out of church quickly without talking to anybody. That's an end run. All right, a flex defense is the ability to absolute, uh, allow absolutely nothing that was said during the sermon affect your life. That's a flex defense. All right, a halfback option is the decision of 50% or more of the congregation not returning to an evening service. That's the halfback. Uh, and here's one of my favorite. Uh, the blitz is a rush that takes place be- following the closing prayer to beat the crowds to the local restaurants. That's the blitz. And then finally, there's the bench warmer, which nobody in football, I do remember this. I was not a bench warmer, but that was like the dreaded thing. And that is when um, someone who does not sing, pray, work, or apparently do anything but sit in a pew. That's the bench warmer. You know, Vince uh, Papali, does everybody know him? They made a movie about him um, called Invincible. It's a great movie. I never heard of him until I saw the movie. Um, It's a great movie, great story. Um, I did some studies on him. Uh, As I watched the movie, I like to research people. I love the human uh, human stories, stories of inspiration, so I read a lot of inspirational true stories. And uh, and this guy, he was a 30-year-old substitute teacher uh, and a bartender in Philly. And then him and his buddies spent the weekends playing football every weekend. I mean, they loved football. And I did some other research for him. Apparently, he went to, like, these minor leagues and football leagues and stuff like that. And he was really uh, just loved the sport. And if he wasn't playing that on the weekends, he was watching the Eagles play. Now, the Eagles did not have a great team, and they had high hopes, and they kept cheering them and hoping that they would win. Um, but week after week, they were, they were let down. And they were just beaten. The Eagles were not winning team. Some of you Redskin fans know what I'm talking about. Now, I almost said VCU fans, but then I thought I might get cast out here and, or, or Virginia Tech, but I didn't say that. Uh, but uh, during that time, you know, they just weren't winning. They weren't uh, a good team. And so uh, they got a new coach in, Vince uh, Vermilla. And uh, he was hired as a head coach, and he, wanted, he convinced the owner of the, the uh, team to hold public trials. And what he did was he said, you know what, part of it was a publicity stunt. Part of it was just to, to, to kind of rally the fans to, uh, to, to believe in the Eagles again. 
Because it's important to have those fans, like especially as a team. If, you know, if, if, you're, if your fans are booing you all the time, it kind of diminishes your morale. So, so he did this, this thing where he just let it open to all the public to be able to try out. And, then, and so and, and, uh, people would cheer. Or, or, uh, at the same time, Vince was, lost his job as a substitute teacher. He lost his wife. And he, his friends kept telling him, you know, why don't you try out for this? He's like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. And he kept doing it. You know, they kept egging him on. And, and he's, he lost his wife, lost his job. It was in 1976. Wasn't a great year for our economy. And uh, so he went to his dad. And he said, Dad, you know, what do you think? You think I should try out for this? And his dad said, nah, you know, a man can only take so much. And that's a quote. A man can only take so much. And so he's, he ta- his dad was trying to talk him out, to it, out of it. But his friends kept egging him on, saying, you know what, you're great, you're a good player, you should try out. So he finally did. And most of the people that tried out were out of shape. They were wannabes, they, they looked at, you know, they're, they're uh, huge football fans, but in reality, they weren't fit to play the NFL. By the end of the day, the only person to be selected was Vince. By the end of the day, he was the only one to be selected. He was a 30-year-old rookie first uh, 30-year-old rookie in the NFL. He was selected. Now, he convinced this head coach that he was good enough. He convinced the head coach that he could do it and that he could play. But he still had to prove himself to his players, his, his teammates. He still had to prove himself to these other guys, right? I mean, yeah, he might have, the, the, the coach might have convinced uh, or been convinced and said, you know what, I'm going to give you this shot because I think you might be good enough. But he still had to convince his teammates that he was worthy to be on that team or, or to be good enough to be on that team. But later on, he, he eventually became team captain or the special teams captain through determination and hard work. He became a local hero, a local fan hero, because there's this idea of this regular guy doing something extraordinary. And he became popular. That's why we talk about him years later, 30, 40 years later, we talk about this guy and who he is and, and this inspiration. They make a movie out of him because of who he is and this determination, this hard work in, and his abilities here. He's a working class guy that stands out and he stands up and he comes out of the benches and gets in the game. And he works hard. I think there's a lot of Christians today that do something very similar. I think, we, I think we need to do what Vince did. Get out of the stadium and get into the game. I think we really need to do that. I think there's a lot of Christians today that, that look and, and they, they, they like the idea, but they're in the stands and they're just watching. Some of us here this morning have to stop being bench warmers and get involved in the life and ministry of church in the life of ministry of what God is doing. This series is called Battle Ready for a reason. And we've been discussing, like I mentioned earlier, we've been discussing this spiritual warfare that we're in, this spiritual war, because, you know, we are in a battle. We are in a situation where we are constantly being threatened. Now, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to be threatened because uh, the enemy is going to try to keep you from being effective. He wants you to be a bench warmer. He wants you to keep you on the sidelines. He wants to keep you ineffective. He wants you to skip church. He wants you to do these things. He wants you to lie. He wants you to slander. He wants you to do everything he can to make your witness ineffective. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you've never made that confession of faith, you've never done that, he's also after you too. He's also trying to keep you from being effective, or becoming a Christian. He's trying to keep you from being saved. He's trying to keep you from having a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Because once you have that and you're changed by the power of the Holy Spirit and you're changed with this relationship with God, guess what? You're going to start doing those things. You're going to start being effective. You're going to be excited and you're going to share the gospel. And he does not want that. So either way, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, the battle, this war, is real. Last week we talked about uh, doing, uh, uh, we talked about the um, being trained and preparing for war, preparing for battle. We talked about the army rangers and how, how they go through this, this, uh, this training and it's intense. And very few, only a few, uh, a small percentage of people actually go through and succeed because of, of how important it is and how hard it is. See, I personally believe that the, te- uh, the Bible teaches that we're saved to serve. We're not saved to sit. We're saved to serve. I personally, deep down, believe that. Jesus told his disciples to count the cost of following him before becoming his disciples. By what he said, count the cost. Before you come and make a commitment to me, I want you to think about this. I want all of you. I want 100% of you. Count the cost. Weigh it out. Jesus doesn't want you to be part-time. He wants you in the game. He wants you in starting position. He does not want us to be bench warmers at all. This morning, I want to speak to you a few minutes about, I want to encourage you to get involved in what God is doing. And at the end of the message, we're going to talk a little bit about what God is doing here. I'm going to share the vision of the church. I'm going to share what we're doing and what, how God is moving. But I want to encourage you to get involved in what God is doing here and through this church, Covington Baptist Church. See, the Word of God talks a lot about serving, and I believe it's important for us all to be involved in the life and ministry of, of church. And when I talk about church, I want to be clear on this. I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about the life of this church, the people. We could be be moved out of this building and move into a warehouse just down the road, and and we're still going to be a church. We could be out in the the park, and we could still be a church. There's people all around the world that uh, that do tents, tent revivals and tent meetings, and they don't have a building. It's the body of Christ, the people. So when I talk about church, and anytime I reference church, just always know I'm talking about us as the people. But I believe God has, uh, and God's word has a lot to talk about serving and in the local church. See, serving, uh, serving God is not something for the casually interested. It's not something that, that we should have part-time. It's a costly service, and it will take, it'll, he, Jesus asked for your whole life. He asked for every bit of it. He doesn't ask for a part-timer. He asked for it all. He asked for service to him to become a priority, not a pastime. You know, the ministry of serving, uh, the ministry of serving may be as public as preaching or teaching, but it's often as isolated as nursery duty. Nursery workers go in the back. They don't don't interact very much, except for with a few parents. A lot of times it's as isolated as that. Serving may be as appreciated as a good testimony during the worship service. But typically, it's as thankless as washing dishes after a, Christ, after a church social. You will be criticized. You will be complained about. People will tell you that you're doing things wrong. People always have a better opinion. People always have some criticism to say. It'll always, it'll, it's going to happen. It's, we're people. We're sinners. It's going to happen in our lives. As you go in to serve and you, and you go in to, to uh, give Jesus your all, 
People are going to think about how you do things, what you wear, what you say. They're going to look at every single thing you do, and they're going to say things. You can't please everybody, right? We all know that. I can't please them all. So you're going to get it, and that's, that's part of serving. In most cases, people have opinions of how they think it should be done, but yet they're not doing anything themselves. It's interesting. Most service, even that which, that which seems glamorous, is like an iceberg. Only the eyes of God sees the larger hidden part. You might see me up here on Sunday morning, and you might say, wow, you know, what does he do for the rest of the week? You might say that for Jan. What does she do? You see her sing four or five songs. What does she do for the rest of the week? But those same people that are out there, or even deacons, or, or our uh, finance committee, or property committee, you might say, oh, they come from a meeting every once every three months. What do they do? But what you don't see is that property committee is making all the repairs around here. Finance committee are budgeting books and paying the bills. Jan is planning music and coming up on her after work and working um, late at night to plan the music and getting, getting the information to me so I can put it in the bulletin. I'm preparing sermons and doing hospital visits and, and, uh, and planning and going to every meeting that pretty much exists in this place. So there's so much more that goes on than what you see. So why even serve? You know, if I'm talking about this, and it, and it sounds so hard, and it's like, wow, you know, I'm going to get criticized no matter what we do, or we're going to have these things come up. Why even bother? Why even bother serving? Why even get involved in finance committee? Why even be a deacon? Why even be a, a worship leader or a preacher or a teacher or whatever it is that you're called to do? Why do it? Serving in the Christian life should be as common and normal as praying and reading the Bible and coming to church. Serving should be second nature. It's what we do. It should be something that every Christian should be part of. Every Christian. Not some. Every genuine believer See, serving is part of the Christian disciplines, the, the basics of the foundation of the Christian life. It is not an optional thing that we can sometimes do. It is foundational to the life of Christ and in our, in our disciplines that we should be applying into our lives as Christians. See, two of the deadliest sins, sloth and pride, they despise serving. They hate serving. If we don't discipline ourselves to serve for the sake of Christ and his kingdom, we'll serve only occasionally and when it's convenient or self-serving. It'll be about us. The result is, will be the quantity and quality of service we'll, we will regret on the day of accountability for our service when, our, when we uh, get to heaven. And there will be a, day, a, a time of accountability. See, that song that we sang, Come, now is the time of worship. Did you notice that there's a part that every knee shall bow? Every single one of us are going to bow before Christ, and we're going to account for what we've done with the talents that we've been given. Out of fear, because we're going to talk about the motivation of why we should serve. I don't say that out of fear. It shouldn't be about fear. But there is a fact that God has given us gifts, and, if, and, and so now if we have a gift from God, and we don't use that, and we bury it, then guess what? He's going to look at us and say, what are you doing with that? I gave you that to invest. I gave you that money, that, that talent, that treasure to invest in the kingdom. What did you do with it? 
And there will be a time for accountability. There will be a time. Now, will we still go to heaven? Absolutely. As a saved believer, we will go to heaven no matter what. What it does influence is if we're pleasing our Lord Jesus Christ. Have we pleased him with what he's given us? Also, if, if, uh, when we get there, it will also influence our rewards in heaven. Now, I don't, I'm not motivated by that, but I have to admit, I want to please God, and I would love to be rewarded in heaven. I do not want to be cleaning toilets in heaven. I want to be doing something else. Okay? So I do want to please the Lord. And it does influence that. Day of accountability will influence that. God will look over his, our, our lives and say, look, I've given you this and you did good. Well done, good and faithful servant. Or, say, disappointed in all that I've given you and what have you done? Every Christian is expected to serve. When we're born again, our sins are forgiven, and the blood of Christ cleanses our conscience. According to Hebrews 9, 14, in order for us to serve the living God, every Christian's commission. We, we should be serving often. Now, there's a few different things of, of, of why we should, why we're motivated to serve. And let me say something, too, is uh, there's no spiritual unemployment around. We should not be spiritually unemployed. There's no spiritual retirement in the kingdom of God. There's no spiritual retirement. There is no unemployment. No matter what age we are, young or older, there is something we can do in the kingdom of God, whether it's praying, something that uh, somebody I have a lot of respect for. I'm sorry to point, uh, say something, Pete, but you, uh, uh, something you and Helen say all the time is, she goes, you know, Helen says it a lot. She'll say, I might not be able to do a lot, but I can still pray. She prays. She prays for us. No matter, and we have kids in here that can serve, and they serve. And they should be expected to serve. We should mirror that. We should allow them to serve. We should encourage them to serve. My boys clean up the, the uh, this, we're on the rotation for cleaning up the, this room and, and vacuuming and stuff, and I have two boys that come every time, and they do it, and they do it sometimes when people forget. They serve. Why? Because we are servants, and we're called to serve. It's not a pat on our backs. It's not anything that has to do with it. It's about serving our Lord Jesus Christ. Our motives behind the service are that we, uh, we offer God. The Bible talks about six motives for serving six and there's actually more than that but i just picked out six i figured if i did 12 you probably get bored after a while so i just i've nailed it down to six but there's six motives for serving and the first one is up on the screen it says we're motivated by obedience we're uh, motivated by obedience moses wrote that it's your lord your god you must follow and him you must revere keep his commandments obey him serve him and hold fast to him Obey him, serve him, and hold fast to him. Everything that's in these verses relates to obedience. And we should serve the Lord because we want to serve him and obey him. We're obeying him. He, he, he's done all these things, and, we can, and he says, do these things. Evangelize the lost. Love your brother. He says all these things. We should say, yes, sir. We obey him. Any genuine Christian would say that he or she genuinely wants to obey God. I can't not imagine talking to a Christian and say, hey, do you want to obey God? And they say, nope. Nah. I don't want to obey him. 
I, I, that none of us, I think, would actually, we would probably, our jaw would drop if somebody actually said that, if they're a professing Christian. Okay? Every genuine Christian would say that they want to obey God. But, when we, but we must obey God when we're not, uh, but we disobey God when we're not serving him. Not to serve God is sinful. There is a certain act of obedience. Now, the second one is motivated. We should be motivated by gratitude. The, Samuel, or the prophet Samuel exhorted to the people of God to serve uh, to service with these words. Be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Doesn't that sound familiar in the New Testament? Consider what great things he has done for you. Consider great things. When we go to serve God, it should never, ever, ever, ever be a burden. It should never be one of those things where, oh, man, I got I to gotta serve here. We should be so grateful that we say, you know what, Lord, whatever you want, whatever you want, whatever you need, Lord, I will be there. You, I'm sorry, Lord, you want me to do what? You want me to sell my house and go on the mission field? Yes, sir. I love you. I'm so grateful for the things that you've done. The simple fact that he died on the cross for us should give us the gratitude that whatever he asks, we will do it like that, no problem. Now, I'm not saying that we're not human and we don't struggle with it. We will struggle with it, but ultimately, we need to be obedient. Ultimately, we need to be so grateful and just say, Lord, all right, you know, I'm struggling with this. I have a nice house, a nice job, and, I, and you want me to go where? To, uh, to, to Zimbabwe or somewhere? And you want me to do what? And that's going to be hard. We'll, we'll, we'll struggle with that. But ultimately, we should go back to what Jesus did and look at the gratitude and say, you know what, Lord? I will go. Please take this away from me. I don't want to go, but I'll go. Please. We cannot, if we cannot be grateful servants to him in who everything and in whom we have everything, what will make us grateful? Jesus did everything for us, gave us freedom. And if, that, if we're not grateful for that, what would make us grateful? The next uh, motivation is gladness, inspired by the command of Psalm 100, verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. We're not to serve the Lord grudgingly or grimly or in drudgery. We should do it as a privilege. It's not a burden. We should look at it as, as this is an honor with gladness. With joy. Those words, gladness and joy, are, are they, they interchange throughout Scripture. Serve the Lord with joy as we have to clean an ashtray or clean a toilet. Sing along, just enjoy it. It's just a toilet. We should do these things as, uh, with, with a certain attitude. I, can't under, I can understand why a person who serves God to earn his way to heaven doesn't serve with gladness. People that think that they do it out of, out of obligation or to earn their salvation, I understand why they're not doing it out of joy or gladness because it's, a, it's an obligation. It's a, it's, they're trying to earn their, way to, uh, earn their way to heaven. But for those of us who understand that we're saved by grace and it's a, it's a gift from God, thank you, Lord. I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ, and I'm joyous. And if I have to clean an ashtray, or I have to clean a toilet, or I have to do some of these things, I'm going to do it, hopefully not grudgingly. The next motivation is by forgiveness, not guilt. In, in Isaiah's famous ver, uh, vision of God, he became eager to serve the Lord since his sins were forgiven in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah was motivated to serve God 
in any way, in any way because he was forgiven. Not because he felt guilty, but because God has taken away his guilt. He had no guilt anymore. The people of God did not serve him, do not serve him to be forgiven, but because we are forgiven. When believers serve only because they feel guilty, if they don't, it's like, uh, it's like they serve with a ball and chain dragged around their ankles. They do it grudgingly. They do it with, with pressure. There's no love in that kind of service. There's no joy or uh, their only obligation and drudgery. But Christians aren't prisoners who serve God in God's kingdom because of guilt. We can serve willingly because Christ's death freed us from that guilt. We're also motivated by humility. Now, this is the one I love the most. Jesus was the perfect servant. The perfect servant. With astonishing humility, Jesus washed the feet of his disciples as an example of how all of his followers should serve with humility. In, the, in this life, a part of us, we call it the flesh, will always say, if I have to serve, what do I get out of it? This isn't Christ-like service. It's hypocrisy. By the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we must reject self-righteous service and sinful motivation. We must serve in humility, considering other brothers above ourselves. Look at uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in, humili- in humiliation, or humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Think about that. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. That's lifting other people up over ourselves. It's saying, you know what? They're more important than my needs. It's not about me. It's about serving. And finally, we're motivated by love. At the heart of service, according to Galatians chapter 5, should be love. Looking at verse 13, it says, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Serve one another in love. There's no better fuel to service. There's no better motivation uh, than, in service than love. There's no better fuel that burns longer and provides more energy than love. Jesus said in Mark 12, the greatest commandment is to love your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, all of your being, and to love your brother as yourself. Consider these words. Surely the more we love God, the more we live for him, the more we serve him, and the more we love others with the power, the more we will serve them. I'll give you an example of that. Those of us that have kids, wouldn't there be pretty much anything we do for them? Would we jump in front of a car to push them out of the way? Absolutely. Those uh, that serve in the military and law enforcement, part, there's a part of that that's love. They want to protect the community. There's a, there's a desire there to, for justice and to protect the people that are hurting or that are being victims. They're victim act- advocates. There's, there's love. We do just about everything for love. It's a motivator. They sacrifice. They, they bring, uh, they, you know, they sacrifice finances. They sacrifice uh, time, energy. 
for their loved ones. You know, if you're married, you've been married any, any length of time, you, you, you learn, you know, that I'm uh, speaking as a guy, that there's things that I don't necessarily want to do, but I do it because I love my wife. Because of love. And it's a motivator. It's sacrificial. So as we, the biggest motivator for serving is love. We do these things because we love each other. We serve in the church because we love each other. Anybody needs a, he- a need here, let's help each other because we love you. I come up here and I dedicate my time and energy, not for a paycheck. I don't get paid that much. I do it because I love you. Love is the supreme motivator. Jesus died on the cross because of love for us. See, every Christian is gifted to serve also. See, we might have all these motivations. We have all these things, you know, that that might motivate us to serve, but we're also gifted in different areas. God loves a a variety of things. He's made us all very different. And I can guarantee that every single one of us, if we took, all of us took personality tests, we'd all have differences because we're all a little different. And we all have giftedness in different areas to serve. Now, of salvation, when the Holy Spirit comes to live within you, when you, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes in you and he gives you a gift to be able to use for his kingdom. We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that there's many different gifts. We also see in 1 Peter that the Holy Spirit provides different gifts and there's a variety. And the reason for it in 1 Peter, the reason for those gifts is for service. Not for us. So as you go around, you see these TV, some of these TV preachers that talk about, you know, um, you know, give this money and you'll be blessed and use this gift for, for, you know, personal gain is really what a lot of it is or something these guys teach. It's not for personal gain. It's about serving. It's about serving the Lord and serving your man, your fellow brothers and sisters. See, 1 Peter chapter 4 verifies that each Christian has a special, a, a special gift and that, pers- that gift is specifically for service to others. If this is among the first times you've ever heard about spiritual gifts, if you're maybe a new Christian or maybe not a Christian or maybe you just haven't been around the church very much and, and you, you've never heard of spiritual gifts and what that is, don't worry about it. Don't sweat it. It doesn't mean that you can't serve. There's people that have been in church all their lives and still doesn't, they don't know their spiritual gift. If you want to know what your spiritual gifts are, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you want to know that, that's fine. Give me a call. I would love to work with you and I can help you figure that out. You're not demoted to bench warmer just because you don't know what your spiritual gifts are. Don't be discouraged in serving. I encourage you to discipline yourself to serve in a regular, ongoing ministry in the local church. Find somewhere to give. Find somewhere to serve. It doesn't necessarily have to be in recognition or elected positions. You don't have to come preach. You don't have to teach a class. You can just help. Sometimes it might be just jumping in, helping clean some dishes. Serve. I'll tell you a little secret. When you serve with other brothers and sisters in Christ, you will grow tremendously in your relationship with God because there's something wonderful about serving others. There's something that's wonderful and beautiful about helping others. Find a way to defeat that temptation to only serve when it's convenient and exciting. Fight that temptation when you, (coughs) excuse me, when you make a commitment when you make a commitment to serve, continue doing it, no matter what. You make that commitment, make your yeses yes and your noes no. Make that commitment and stick to it no matter what until that, that commitment is over.
We ser- uh, serving is, is hard work. It's not easy work. By all means, it's not. Some teach that once you employ the spiritual gifts, that, that it's all easy. And, and you know what? I have this gift of preaching, so it's easy to preach. Or I have a gift of teaching, and it's easy. Sometimes God puts you in situations that might not be so easy, but you are gifted in it. It's not, that's not New Testament Christianity when it comes effortlessly. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, the reason for these gifts and the reason for ministry is to equip the saints to equip the saints for the work of service. Sometimes serving God and others is nonetheless hard work. Paul describes his service uh, to God in these words in Colossians chapter 1, verse 29. It says, To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Okay? To, this I la- to this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which is powerful works, powerfully works in me. This word labor is the same word that we get str- struggling and anal- agony or agonize. So when he talks about labor, it's not like work. You know, we think of wor- when we think of the word labor in, in our language, it's like, you know, I'm going down to the, you know, uh, to the labor force. Or, uh, you know, we think of just work. That's all it is, just work. You know, I labored for hours. You know, ladies, oh, I was in labor for days. You know, I'm just kidding. But, uh, you know, labor, we think of work. But in this, it's agonize. Struggle. It's a powerful word. It's, 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 it's not just a little bit of work. It's a, I, I really can't emphasize anything other than agonize. Sometimes it just really is difficult serving. God supplies us with all the power, though. All the power that you need to serve, he supplies it for you. We struggle in service with all this energy which is so powerfully works in us. True ministry is not forced out of the flesh or with what our doing but the result of the power of God that's working in you. That means that when we serve the Lord in a local church or, or any type of ministry, it will be hard. But, if, but you are like Paul. Sometimes it will be agonizing and exhausting, and it will take time. There will always be other things that are more entertaining. We talked about football earlier. So there's going to be always going to be some kind of game on, especially if you get the ESPN package on Dish Network or something. You know, there's always going to be some game on, on some network. There's always going to be something entertaining that's going to take up your time and distract you and tempt you from doing that instead of serving or fulfilling your commitments or doing something for somebody else. And if there's no, for no other reason, serving God is hard work because it means serving people. But remember that serving costs nothing, accomplishes nothing. Serving that costs nothing, accomplishes nothing. Serving God is work, but there's no work more rewarding than serving him. I can guarantee that out of personal testimony. If you don't believe me, let's talk in private. I'll share you some rewarding events of what's happened. There's a wonderful thing, seeing people's lives changed by the power of the gospel. Seeing people baptized. It's so rewarding. When you walk away, you think about it for weeks. There's people that I've led to Christ years ago, and I still remember the moments. Those aha moments when they go, you know what? There's something about Christ that I'd like to know more about. 
I love those moments. It's so rewarding and so endearing. I believe the Lord is asking all of us a question this morning, and that question is this. Are we going to continue to sit uh, like a bump on the log week after week, or are we going to uh, get out of the padded pew and into the game? Are we going to go on the counterattack with this enemy that we have? Are we going to fight? Are we going to sit here comfortably? It's your choice. I'm not going to pressure anybody into serving because I want it to be out of love, out of, ser- out of joy, out of maybe obedience, gratitude. I want those motivators. That's what I hope you would do it for. Not, not because the preacher's trying to strong arm me into serving. Don't ever do it because of that. If you ever feel pressure from me, tell me, hey man, you're pressuring me a little bit. All right, I'm sorry, because that's not what I'm doing. It's not my intention. Are you going to get involved in, in what we're doing here at Covington Baptist Church? Are you going to get involved in the life and ministry of this church? It's up to you. But I'll tell you, the things that are going on here at Covington Baptist Church, the, the things that we're doing, God is working here. And I, I, I'm going to share with you some things. I'm going to share with you some things that, we're, that God has been moving here. And, and some of the things that we've been doing over a little while are starting to flourish. Do you want to be involved in this? Because I'll tell you something, that we can't uh, succeed as a church some of the things that we want to do in the future, we don't start working together and people start volunteering and serving. I was looking at the, today we have a leadership meeting and I have this forum that, I, that has all the different positions, you know, the church councils and all these different people. And I was looking at it and I was looking at families. And I'm like, you know what? Everybody on this list totals up to about eight families in this church. Eight families. Some, both husband and wives are, are doing multiple services or multiple things. But eight families out of the whole church is on that list of all the leadership positions. See, all the changes that we've been doing, all the changes since I've been here, all these, and I know it's been hard, and we're going to talk about that. I know there's been a lot of stuff, but all of that stuff is starting to uh, bear fruit. For example, the bus ministry. Dave has been wanting a bus ministry for a long time. And you know what? We got a phone call from Gerald, and uh, somebody called him. I said, hey, there's a bus over here, pretty cheap. And because he's a servant, he sat there and called Dave and said, hey, man, there's a bus over here. It's for sale, cheap. We got that bus for $2,000. And everybody, within a week, jumped on the, uh, Dave jumped on the phone, made a few phone calls. Next thing you know, we have the, we, uh, he fundraised the whole $2,000. Isn't that a blessing? God is working here. For years, he's wanted one because of the faithfulness of a few We've been able to start a bus ministry, and, we're, and Dave is getting a license. I'm going to work on my license in a couple months, um, and, and we're going to start, and a few of us are trying to get our license to be able to drive it, and we're going to rotate and, and try to get a bus ministry up to Dolly Ann, for starters. That's the first one that's on my heart, is to get up to Dolly Ann each Sunday so we can be able to get the people that don't have cars down to church. Can I get an amen on that? Isn't that awesome? God is working. Thank you, Dave. With that amen up there. Hit it again. We need another one. We got more visitors. People are coming. They're checking us out. They're they're dipping their feet in, saying, okay, what's going on over here? What's going on at, at Covington Baptist Church? We have a reputation. We've been here 175 years. People have their opinions. 
But what's going on when people are coming? People are visiting. They're, they're interested. And I pray they stay. We have new leadership roles and new structure that we're going to talk about today at the leadership meeting. And we've done some constitution changes to free things up and get rid of committees and, and get people to be able to mobilize a little bit more effectively and faster. And let me tell you something. I'll tell you a little secret. It's very hard to change a constitution at a church, especially one as old as us. But you guys have done it. We've done it as a group, as a team. We've come together and brought ideas together and challenged each other. I loved working with some of you. Some of y'all had no problem speaking up to me and saying, look, I don't think that's a good idea. And I disagree. And we go back and forth and discuss it. And we negotiate and we figured it out. That's awesome. Because that's the way teamwork works. But we have new leadership roles, a new structure to make us more effective. We're outreaching in Dolly Ann. We had the fall festival. We did the Thanksgiving. We did over, what, 300 and something coats. Remember our goal was 100, I think? It was? No, it was more than that. I think it was like 200 was our original goal. And everybody kind of was like, oh, 200, I don't know. Because we did 90 before that, and that was a good year. But we did 200. We ended up with over three, I, th- I don't remember. Gerald, do you remember? Was it 350? Do you remember it all? What's that? 19 boxes, yeah. He, he, gave, he ran across a whole bunch, 19 boxes of coats. So we had this huge coat drive that was a success. Thanksgiving, God has blessed us with the coats. God blessed us with a great turnout for the Thanksgiving dinner, the, the play, the Christmas play. All this, this, the past six months, God has been working here, been doing new things. We're actively planning new outreach um, things, and, and we're continuing to work with Dolly Ann. I'm continuing to plan Easter, and we're working on the next six months right now. And we're going to continue doing stuff next fall, of course. And we're going to continue working with Dolly Ann. And we're also looking for other outreach opportunities. And God is bringing things about. We have new discipleship classes to, to help move us towards spiritual maturity. We want to do the men's conferences coming up, and I really hope every guy in here comes to this. I really do. I, I, I hope you will commit to that. I think it'll be a lot of fun. I think you're going to enjoy yourself. Good food, good friends, and a, a good message. But when you come to this, come. But we want to do four messages or four conferences a year is our goal. We want to do a men's conference, a women's conference, a marriage conference, and a leadership conference. And our goal is to do one quarterly so we can go out to the community and bring men and try to change this community and try to make a difference, a positive impact in our society. This community, I don't know this community very well. I'm still learning. But like, and I've been around the country. I've preached in a lot of states. And there's a lot of similarities between here and everywhere else. There's a lot of complacency that goes on. And it's a, a God is working on this. He's given us new vision. He's given us new things. And our reputation is starting to flourish. People are hearing about it out in the community. They're hearing about what we're doing here as a church, and, that, and they're starting to notice. People, uh, as I talk to people, I hear different stories about how, hey, somebody said that they heard about the Dolly Ann ministry, and they thought that was great. And we're hearing it, and our reputation is going out. Which means, and what that means in, in church terms, is that God is working, and people are hearing about it, because people are attracted to what's, what's moving forward, what God is doing. It's, there's something about it. When you hear a church that's doing things for Christ, and you see the changes and the, the impact that they're making in the community, guess what? People take notice. 
Our reputation is, is positive, and things are moving because people are taking notice to what God is doing. Now, all these changes and all these things, I know it's been hard. I know it's been difficult. I told you right from the beginning. I said, look, you know, we're going to try new things. We're going to try to do new things here. And I told you that if it doesn't work, I'll be one of the first ones to say, hey, Lord, you know what, let's reexamine this. Maybe this isn't working. Let's try something different. But in order for us to reach the community for Christ, we have to change things. We have to stop doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. And remember, I told you that right from the beginning. And so we started changing things, and, I, and I've, we've moved fast. And I know that it's been hard. But I've challenged your traditions. I've stretched you. I've challenged you. I've challenged what, you, what you're used to. I've challenged uh, the, your traditions and what you've done and what you've always done. And, and as I talk to people and they tell me about, you know, different things about the history, it's funny because I'll be like, well, is that, you know, was that when Michael Wright was here? Well, that was over 10 years ago. You know, I hear a lot of things about the past, but the past is 10, 20 years ago. And I know that it's, it's difficult. We've done things for the multimedia. We've done things for the bulletins. We've, uh, you know, I dress a ca- more casual. There's a reason for these things. There's a motivation. It's not just because I don't like uh, a suit or something. It's, it's, there's a reason for it. And, the, and I know that some of these things have, have, have challenged you. The preaching style by personality. Uh, the different music that we're doing. And of course, we're still getting to know each other during this time. You know, we're, I'm still considered a new preacher. I've only been here seven months. So we're still getting to know each other. I don't know all of you as well as I'd like. My leadership philosophy and personality are still new to you, and the way I do things is a little different. I'm not maybe as refined or polished as maybe you're used to. And I want to thank you for your, your grace and your willingness to, to adjust. I want to thank you for your, your willingness to embrace that and say, you know what, I haven't heard a lot of, a lot of negative things, you know, and, and, there, and, and you've been willing to adjust yourself, and I'm going to continue challenging you. That's a promise. There's a phrase that I've heard once that if a preacher doesn't hear grumbling, he's not doing his job. Okay, it's true. If I'm not pushing you, it's my job to equip you to uh, equip the saints and equip you for ministry, equip you and help you grow spiritually. That's my job. And if I'm not pushing you and encouraging you, pushing you in those, those uncomfortable places, then I'm not doing my job. I'm letting you stay the same. So my job is to serve you by pushing you forward, to moving you towards spiritual maturity. And I have no doubt in my mind that I'm called to this church, without a doubt. There's not, no matter what happens, I have no doubt that I'm called here, that God wants me here. I know that you've been hurt by church members. Some of you have been hurt by pastors. I know the history. I hear it. Things have happened. It's the life of church. I hate to say it, but we're all sinners. I'm just one beggar showing other beggars where to find food. We make mistakes. We need to forgive them, whoever that is. We need to let that go. I want you to know that I'm committed to serving you to the best of my ability. And I will give, day in and day out, I'll give 110%. I work 60-plus hours a week here. I take care of my kids. It's hard work serving, isn't it? A lot of you work full-time jobs, and you still serve here, and you have family commitments, and you serve outside in the community. It's hard work, isn't it, Taking, trying to manage all these things? But I also have a promise that, that I will continue challenging you no matter how uncomfortable you get.
Why? Because I love you. I truly believe 2017 is going to be a banner year. I really believe wholeheartedly that this year is going to be a, a, a new year for us. I think it's going to be a real blessing to see God working here. Is there going to be challenges? Yep. When we get new people in, we're going to have new opinions and new, new attitudes and new things. Yep. That's going to happen. That's what happens when you get new people in. Are we going to have people coming in with large cups of coffee and dogs? Yep. It's going to happen. Are we going to have spills? Are we going to have different things? Yep. Church is sticky. We're people. It's going to happen. But you know what? This is going to be a great year. I truly believe that deep down in my, my soul. It's going to be a great year here. We're going to do some great things. We're going to get out of the building. We're going to get out reaching the community for Christ. I want to leave you with one thing. One thing to walk away with. The Lord Jesus was always the servant. The servant of all. The servant of servants. The ultimate servant. Luke 22 Verse 27 says, Who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? It is not the one who reclines at the... Uh, is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I, among you, is the one who serves. If, you're, if you are to be like Christ, you must discipline yourselves to serve as Christ served. And I hope you'll join me in the serving of this community together in 2017. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for all the service that you, all the, all the people here that do serve and, and uh, their commitment and their love for you. Father God, I ask you to continue to work in the lives of everybody here and their love, uh, help them grow in the grace and knowledge of you and, uh, and continue to love on them, teach them, help them grow, help them learn, challenge them, ch get them out of their comfort zone. <coughs> Father God, I ask you, to do whatever you need to do to help us thrive, to glorify your kingdom. If that means that we get a little sticky, if that means that we're challenged and a little uncomfortable, that's okay, Lord, because we want to serve you because we love you. Father God, continue to work in this church, and Father God, continue to give us vision on the direction you'd like us to go, and we love you, Lord, and we're thankful for everybody here that comes faithfully and serving every day and every week. And every year, we have people here that have been serving for 20, 30 years, and we thank you for their service. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we uh, close.